things, Lord, and accomplish your purpose in our midst. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, we're going to read, uh, our, spend our focus in verse 34 through 38, which uh, John read for us in scripture reading. Uh, and I've entitled the message, uh, First Things First. First Things First. You know, our day uh, is a day of busyness. Boy, isn't it? Americans are busy, busy, busy. Busy, busy, busy. Busy, busy. And we, and we worship that. We adore that, don't we? You see uh, someone you haven't seen in a while. Hey, how you been? Busy. Oh, good. Good. You could be busy doing a bunch of nonsense, busy on the treadmill, right? But we go like, oh, that's good. You're busy. You know, try that next time. Tell someone, and they ask you, hey, how you doing? Say, hey, you know, I've been just kicking back. I haven't really been doing much, just relaxing. Notice the expression you get. <laughs> and I say that all because busyness, we are so busy as Americans. We cram the schedule full and then more, and we run and run and run and run and run to try and keep up. Busyness in abundance. Boy, we have a lot of distraction, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff to keep us occupied and preoccupied and overoccupied with, uh, with triviality and all this other stuff, right? All this stuff. Stuff. That's what Americans like. They like stuff. As Francis Schaeffer wrote a sermon once called Ash Heap Lives. He was born and raised in Philadelphia area, and uh, he said, I made it my practice uh, once a month to go down. To, he lived in Germantown and go down to the city dump. Do they have those anymore? He said, I go down there and I see piles of stuff that people gave their life for. Stuff, stuff. Oh, we have stuff. He said, I need to go down there and see all the, the cars and the appliances and uh, the piles of, we'd say the piles of high-tech stuff. All this stuff. Americans are busy. Americans have abundance. And it's easy for us. I say to you, it's easy for us to give ourselves to things that are good. You know, there are a lot of good things. I, I don't find the decisions in life between good and evil to be that hard. They're pretty simple. I mean, they're pretty, okay, left or right. Sometimes they don't make the right one, but they're pretty, the harder ones are, are better and best. Those are harder decisions. And our lives are pretty cluttered up and pretty frantic with activity that we, uh, we don't give our things maybe to the best, but to the good. I have here the enemy of the best, if you have it on your sheet. The enemy, the blank is, of the best is the good. Just fill yourself up with all these good things that God gives. And, and every good and, and special gift, blessed gift, comes from the Lord. And relationships and things and health and every good and, and perfect gift, we say from James, is from the Lord. To fill yourself up with these things and not give yourself up to the most important things, well, that's sin, isn't it, in our part? Our families, we would say, some of you would say, my family's not a blessing. But, you know, we, our families are a blessing. They, they, they are. They, they can be sort of on the outs at points, or we could be on the outs with them, but it's God's design that uh, we, we are families, and a nation is a collection of families, or it used to be, our work, Work is a good thing. You'd be bored out of your mind if you had nothing to do all day long. You say, well, work is like slavery. Well, no, God made us to be productive. and He made us to do something. He made us to use the gifts he's given. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a sweet thing, really. We're to find joy in our work. God works even to this day. Jesus said that about his father. 
It's a good thing, but if you fill your life up so that it crams out the most important, then it's not a good thing, you see. Our families are the same, our work, our schooling, sports. Some people are sports crazy. I like, I like sports, wait a lot of years of sports, enjoy that. But uh, some people, oh, just a good thing. Is it a bit? No, it's a good thing, right? But it, a, a good thing taken to an ultimate degree becomes a bad thing. It crowds out the most important. Recreation can be like that. Good. Who can be against that, right? All good in their place, good things. But if they crowd our lives so full and we have no time for life's ultimate priority, ultimate priority, the best, then we're way off in, in sin. If you, know the, if you know Christ the Lord as your Savior, God has called you to himself that you might serve him and that you might enjoy him every day and all the days of your life. That may be a new thought to some of you. Some, some people view salvation as, well, I got my ticket to, to heaven like they got a ticket going to Disneyland or Disney World. Well, it's far more than that. Uh, some people say, well, you know, heaven is great, and I can't wait to see this person, that person, wonderful, and see the streets of gold and all that. And those things are true, but that's not what, what makes heaven heaven. If Jesus were not in heaven, heaven would not be heaven. It's to be with our Savior, that we would depart and be with Jesus. It's the Lord. And God want, made us and saved us, if you know him as your Savior, that you might enjoy him every day of your life. He is your ultimate priority. And you must find your greatest joy and your greatest satisfaction in Jesus, in the Lord Jesus. Your relationship with him, I remind you, is not a set of rules. Right? When we raised our three children, you know, it was common to say, well, there's a rule. You broke that rule. There's another rule. And one day one of them said, how come we have all these rules? <laughs> like a rule. rule, rule. Well, it's easy for a parent to say that. You cross, there's a rule. Go to your room. You're in trouble, you know. Rules. Well, that wasn't the, it was a relationship. It wasn't a set of rules. And our relationship with Jesus is not a book of rules and a codex of of regulations, and therefore I'm striving, that, and I hope God is pleased that I've kept the rules. That's not what, it's a relationship. That's why the Reformed Church was fond of talking about Jesus as Savior in a personal relationship. There are some folks think, well, I'm in the church. I show up for worship. I'm in the church, and therefore I must be a Christian. And the emphasis of the, of the whole New Testament was on a personal relationship. A man or woman must personally be born again and enters into that relationship. And it's a lifelong relationship. As I walk hand in hand with my Savior, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so he ought to be your greatest joy. It's not a set of rules. He ought to be your everything. Jesus answers the last question put to him in Mark's Gospel, chapter 22 now. We're at the, at the very end of our Lord's three-year public ministry. Soon he's going to be crucified. The Sadducees have come and tried to buttonhole him on some questions. They were thwarted. He rebukes them. You don't even know the scriptures. Or haven't you read? How about that? He gives it right back. Now a, an aged Pharisee, a separatist, 
who wanted a pure Judaistic religion comes and he has put up to ask the Lord one last question. And this is the last question that he has asked in his public ministry by the Pharisees, and it is the substance of, uh, of our text here today. And the Lord goes right to the bottom line of life's ultimate priority. And on your sheet I have it, the reality is if God is worthy of man's love, he must be loved with all of man's being. None of this half-hearted stuff. And so Jesus is going to reduce the entire law to one word. That's, there's a particular genius in doing that. And would you say the Lord Jesus was a genius? Would you say he would have got a uh, perfect score on his college boards? <laughs> you got to work on that verbal skill there, Lord. No, no he would have got this. He is, he is the repository of all truth and all knowledge. And he takes all of the law of Moses, all the word of God, and he reduces it to one. To one word, and it's love. Love summarizes our entire obligation to God. Love is the response of a person whom God has redeemed. Love. I remember reading uh, some of the scientists, and they were saying that as man, as, if the Lord tarries and man continues to discover the world that God has made, um, they'll discover that some of the great laws of the universe, electromagnetism, gravity, light, things, will be a very simple little equation. It takes us right back to Einstein's theory of relativity, right? He cut through, you've seen the, some of you, other, more than others, have seen blackboards filled with formula and math, and you know, what is that, right? And here he goes, E equals MC squared. That's it. Cut right through it. That the laws of God will be simply and utterly stated. And, and in heaven, we'll enjoy that as we sit in the Lord's lecture halls. And he teaches us of the wonder of his universe and the cosmos and, and all of that. And the Lord takes all the moral requirements that he had, that God has for you and for me, and he boils it all down to one word. And it's uh, agape. It's the word love. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. God is the greatest lover the world has ever known. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He is the great lover. And if, if Emerson is right, the whole world loves a story. It is indeed certainly true that they love a love story, right? Ladies love to read those love story novels. And they like to see those, the men call them those chick flecks, where they're crying away because it's a love story. Well, the greatest love story is is the love story that God has for you and for me, that he should so send his son. God so loved that he gave. Well, in, in Matthew 22, verse 34, and we'll read that again, three questions helping us to wholeheartedly practice the great imperative of life. This is the great imperative, the great command of life. There's nothing, nothing more important than this. Now let's look at Matthew 22, uh, verse uh, 34. Well, when the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, Rabbi, which is the, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love 
the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the mega, it's the megalay. The, this is the great and the proto, the first entelay commandment. Uh, the Lord is saying, he's like neon light. This is the first and the great. Now that, that ought to carry a lot of weight for us that love Christ. Jesus is saying, this is the summation of everything that God is asking of you. To love the Lord. Well, what's, what is the greatest commandment? Let's just let's, uh, let's underline it a minute. A, it's not the golden rule. Some people say that don't know their Bible, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a, sort of an expression that comes from the Word, and people will put it in plaques and hang it in the walls in their house, and maybe you have that. And, and certainly, uh, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful uh, biblical thought, you know, to be, to be kind and to be gracious and merciful and forgiving uh, to others. I mean, in fact, if you like to be treated that, that way. But that's not the, the great commandment or the first command. Another one is, to your own self be true. Can't tell you, when I went through high school, how many people wrote that in their yearbook, to thy own self be true, like a great philosophical. What will you say as you sign my yearbook? To your own self be true. I mean, it was that one, or in my day it was, not the bridges burn that bother me, but the ones never cross. What a horrible statement that one is. <laughs> not the bridges burned. I mean, relationships, dash, that bother me. It's the one or the opportunity never cross. Terrible. It's not, those, are, those are yearbook, immature type statements, and that's not it. It's not keep the law either. I mean, the Pharisees were given to that. It's not keep the law. That's not the great commandment. Or even, God helps them that help themselves. How many think that's biblical? God helps them that helps themselves. That is terribly pagan. And yet, I hate to see in the average church today, how many people would say, oh, well, yeah, it's in there somewhere. God helps them that help themselves? That's a horrible pagan statement <laughs> that justifies most the, any uh, unrighteous activity, if you think about it. No, that's not it. Rather, Jesus calls us to love the Lord, your God, actually. It's singular. Uh, this is the first and the great commandment. Now, this was not something brand new. Like, Lord, wow, we never heard that before. You'll never, and often it reminds me, again, so much of my ministry through the years, it's not like, this is brand new, folks, and you've never heard this before. I always get nervous when a pastor <laughs> preaches that way. I don't know what he's going to teach. But oftentimes, just our own way, we need to be reminded over and over and over and encouraged to remember the things that we know and to do the things by God's grace and power that God desires of us here. And to the Jews, this is not something new. John read that, Deuteronomy. Uh, it was the great uh, statement uh, by, uh, by the Jews, uh, the Shema. Uh, some of you know it that way. Uh, in Hebrew, in, in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6, uh, Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Uh, you should love the Lord your God. And John read that. And it's called the Shema, and this would be repeated in Orthodox Jewish homes even today. 
in the morning and at evening, the Shema. You say, well, what's the Shema? Shema is simply the, uh, the Hebrew word to hear. It was, oh, Shema Yahishrael. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. The Shema, to hear. It would be the, the hearing, if you will. And so they were very familiar with this and to impress this truth upon their children. Well, number two, the Pharisees, in their particular kind of genius, notice this, they formulated 613 oral laws based upon the fact, I get this, it takes a particular kind of genius to think this way, and none of you do, since there were 613 letters in the original law that God gave to Moses at Sinai, remember? Remember the Ten Commandments? Count the letters up in the Hebrew, 613. They thought we must establish 613 laws. And, and that's what they did. And they were oral. 365 were negative. 248 were positive. Utterly complex. And they would sit around the rabbinical schools and give themselves, most Americans would be bored, we'd jump out the window after 20 minutes. They would spend hours debating which is the greater, which is the lesser. And they'd be quoting one rabbi after another, and this rabbi says this, and, this, and then they'd spend in these uh, kind of a, a, a calisthenic type of rabbinical expression, trying to determine what, this was a gymnastic thing that they would give their life to. We go, we're, we're so, Americans are so bottom line utility. What's the bottom line? How's it work? Forget all that. We're not the philosophical mindset like some people are. And we go, help? You know, like, I kill myself rather than listen to eight hours of that. But they, were, they got off on that stuff. And, uh, and so it's in that context then that uh, they, they approach Jesus and Jesus' answer, number three, cut right through their fog, the fogginess of their thinking, and summarize God's requirement for man. Love summarizes our entire obligation to God. For Jesus called for a willful and personal choice to love the Lord God. It's a relationship. It's not a code. It's not laws. It's not rules but it's a relationship. Listen, when God demonstrated his love for the world, he gave. And he gave the very best that he had. He gave his own son, the Lord Jesus, love incarnate. You know, he, the text says he spared not even his own son. There was no half-hearted love from God to demonstrate his love for the angels, to the angels and to us. He gave the very best that he had. He told Israel that they were to do the same, you know. You know, when you come to bring a sacrifice to me, don't be bringing the, the blemished or the, or the bludgeoned sheep or goats that are sort of like, yeah, he's only got three legs. I don't really need him anyway, so I'll give. I'll, I'll give. It's like someone said uh, about a dollar bill in the day when people used to give a lot of cash in the offering at church. God must love that one dollar bill. It just keeps returning to church <laughs> into the offering plate. No, God gave his very best. It was wholehearted. It was on full display. God the, commended his love towards us. He, he put on display his love for us in giving his very best. 
And that is what he calls for us in return. And so see, the lesser loves of our life should never take the place of this. Never. Beware often lesser loves can so fill your life, leaving no room for loving the Lord with all your being. Lesser loves. For example, I love my wife. She's sick today. She always seems to come back from babysitting with something. I don't know if she is a weak and amused, but she's had a raging earache and, uh, and so on. And when she left Emory, she said, Emory had green stuff coming out. And oh boy, I said, next time, don't kiss her on the lips. Don't do this and that. Because she comes back and she's tired. She works so hard now when she's down there with three little babies. But uh, I love her with all my heart and soul. But she's not number one. In my life, the Lord is number one, you see. Our children, you know. Uh, we live in a day where a lot of kids are, are lost. They don't know their parents or their father or what have you. And you, you read that as well as I do. And, uh, and yet, we can go the other way. We can dote on our children and, and do too much for them and, and fill our life up with all our activity that, oh, we don't have time for life's highest priority. I mean, there can be the idolizing of our children and grandchildren and our mates and our friends. How about sports? Oh, boy, we're getting close now. I haven't had much to cheer about with the Buffalo Bills in recent years, but they'll come on again and go to four straight Super Bowls, maybe. I mean, this is the house of faith, right? And some of you are from support the Steelers here. Don't raise your hand, please, at this point. And you, <laughs> all that... And you've had some good years and all that, but some of that, it, it, it just occupies you. And you're just always studying the stats and looking at the reviews and looking at the old games and looking at this and that. And, this and, and that's all right in its place, but if it becomes too much and it crowds out your walk with Jesus, then that's a problem. That's an idol. It's a good thing in its place. Work can be like that. Work can be very satisfying. You know, you get rewarded at work, you're working on a project, they give you another one, you know, give it to the guy or lady who's going to get it done. And then you get the rewards, so they get the financial reward of that, the commission of that, you get the bonus, and you get stroked, you get stroked. And so you're taking work home, you're working the weekends, you don't do this and that, and, and all of a sudden a good thing becomes, you know, work's a good thing, God says it's good. It becomes, it crowds out the better thing, the ultimate thing in not having your quiet time, well, you're know, doing it on the fly, and I'm not really seeking the Lord, and I'm not where I ought to be, then that's a problem, you see. But we're speaking directly to this. Ours is a relationship with the Lord Jesus who wants to walk, uh, us to walk hand in hand with that and to beware. And this is a constant thing. This is a constant evaluation. Satan would love to trip you up and fill yourself up with things that are good, but not the things that are best. And isn't Jesus, doesn't Jesus' life really illustrate it? I mean, he, he perfectly fulfilled this. As you read the Gospels, you see the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Father didn't say, Well, no, he loves his mother too much. No, he's working too much as a carpenter. No, he's who I am well pleased. And he demonstrates for us as a second Adam what it means in this to love the Lord uh, with the totality of our being. Well, a second question, helping us to wholeheartedly practice the great imperative of life, for really there's nothing more important, and that is, how are we to love the Lord? How are we to do it? According to Jesus, it's with the totality of our being. 
For God's wholehearted love for us must not be returned in a half-hearted way. I mean, in Buffalo, they would say, love him with everything you got. <laughs> everything you got. Love him. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's right. That's the way we're supposed to love the Lord. And, and as if the Lord, and the Lord does not summarize the, his answer quickly here. He really just lays it out. Notice that? And he repeats it. And it repeats. You ever notice how important repetition is? You better clean your room. If you clean your room, clean your room. It's like, oh, I heard. Okay, I heard it the third time. <laughs> like, he doesn't say, and love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Mm -mm. He repeats, love the Lord with, and he's speaking singularly, individually. He's speaking to me and you in it. Love the Lord with all your heart. And, repeats, with all your soul, uh, heart, soul, and then ananoia, your mind. With all your, with all your, with all. Hola, 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 all your. He repeats it. Doesn't move over. He wants us to think about that. So what's it mean? Well, let's look. A, to love the Lord with all your heart. God must be the object of the devotion of my heart. He must be the one daily that I think about and give my loyal love to him. He must be the object of devotion. The chief object doesn't mean you can't have lesser loves, and we do. We love our children, we love our grands, we love our country, we, we enjoy our work, we love our sports, we love our recreation, we love our church, we love our pastor, I hope. We love, you know, but there's one that is number one. But the, the Lord Jesus ought to be the object of your devotion. Second, the heart is the center of your being. Cardia, it's the Greek word cardia. And uh, it must be directed toward him and his glory. I find this to be an important daily uh, need. You go many days without reading your Bible or praying, your heart's going to drift away. It's got to be intentional. Now stir up that gift within you. You've got to... You got to keep at it. I don't know what happens. I I've used that reference so many times in playing the guitar. Some of you play instruments and, and they go out of tune, right? That piano goes out. Of, our our piano stays in tune. I don't know what it is. It's that Kawhi. That thing stays in tune. That guy comes around about every two years and he goes, "Wow, oh, it was pretty good." But my guitar that's in my study, forget it. Uh, after a day, the thing that must be a cheap guitar or something. I don't know. It's out of tune. Well, that's our hearts are like that. Like we go to bed rejoicing, and now I lay me down to sleep. Lord, watch over. I wake up in the morning, far afield. Where am I? <laughs> I don't know what it is. I've got to tune my heart. I've got to talk to the Lord again in the morning. In the morning, I seek Thee, and and so on. So, and number three, He must come first in my ambitions and in my motives. Must be that way. At Proverbs 4.2.3, I call it the 4.2.3 principle. Uh, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It's a 4.23 uh, of Proverbs. I call it the 4.2.3 principle. Guard your heart. Why? There's something precious there. Guard your heart with all diligence. Give some effort to this, you know, for out of it are the issues of life. All my ambitions, all my motives. Jesus speaks to that, doesn't he? 
when he says, and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then I'll take care of all these things. Don't worry about these things. That's my motive. That's my ambition. All of these things. And, and that's Jesus, wasn't it? Remember when uh, his parents lost him? Kind of interesting story. You know, they're caravanning and they're hiking and, and from Jerusalem and they're seeing the cousins and everyone. It's quite a festive time and and the kids would be back in the back seat, you know, if you will. But they're and the and the parents are up front, and they're and they're walking from Jerusalem, and that's how they did a couple of days. And they notice, like, oh, where's Jesus? Somebody lost Jesus. That's an <laughs> and then the the horror of that, right? Imagine that uh, we lost our child once, and we found her, you know, at the restaurant, and hated it, and had to turn in our parent budget. But we never lost Jesus, right? That would be like. Almost an impardonable sin. Well, when they went back, they found him in the temple. He's only maybe 12 at this point. He's sitting with the teachers and the scribes and the doctors of the law, listening and conversing and talking. And, and, and they come up to him and they go, Jesus, why, why, why did you do this? And he says with them, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Well, <laughs> There's a lot there. There's a whole theology. But it reminds, that's what all of us are. We are to be about our Lord's business in ambition, in motive from the heart out. Uh, and that kind of encapsulates that for us. We are to love second and be the Lord with all your soul. Suke, soul. Your life. That means, it means your affections and emotions will be in tune with God's will and set aflame with a desire to please him. I mean, we'll want to please him. I find that. I find that with uh, those that I love. I want to please them, right? And, and from the heart, without duplicity. You know, I want to please my sweet wife. And, and I find joy in that, in, in meeting her needs. And, and over and above that, how much more than uh, is that true with the Lord? Our emotions in tune with his will. And our hearts set aflame uh, with a desire to please him. It's far more than the cold, logical knowing of him. It involves finding him in your, high, your highest delight and enjoying him. Sometimes this is a great sin of the seminarian. Uh, where they'll study uh, the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic sections of the word and study some of the great theologies, and they, and they fill their head with all these thoughts, academia uh, of, of theology and God and his, and his being and his creation and the ins and outs of salvific history and redemption and eschatology, and, and they'll spend all this. And, and the, it's just, it's a, it's a love of God uh, that doesn't, we say, reach their heart. You know, there are a lot of folks that know a lot about God and Christ, and we go like, They'll miss heaven by 12 inches. And my pastor used to say that. They know a lot of stuff up here, but it's never reached their heart, right? And we're to love the Lord with all our heart, our soul, and our strength, and our mind. And, uh, and it's, it should touch the very center of what makes us tick. You see, a half-hearted love is really not love at all, right? Uh, it really is not love at all. Not really love when you... Maybe you dated someone or you want to date somebody and a, a girl will say, well, does he really love me? Sometimes it's funny because the ladies will wait to see, they love it when the guy, 
expresses his love in such an awkward, foolish way that uh, I guess he does. He's on one knee. He's falling all over himself. He's making a complete fool of himself expressing his love. And then they become convinced, I think he does love me. You know? But is it only half-hearted? You know, like half-hearted, not really in, sort of, I'm into this relationship, mm, somewhat. Like, what is that? <laughs> like, I'm not signing up for it, right? <laughs> Wholehearted love. You put your whole self in. You ever do that roller skating? Roller skating and you do the hokey pokey? How many have done that? You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah, in the last part, you put your whole self in, right? You put your whole self out. Some of you are falling all over the place on roller skates when you're doing that. But that's the way we're to love the Lord with all our heart, the totality of our being. Not Sunday morning, 10 to 11.30. Hopefully, pastor will speak short today. No, but with the totality of our being. And we look at the sunset and we go, Lord, that's amazing. You're beautiful, your artistry, your relationships with people, and your care for me, and the way you provide, and all of it. It's, 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 it's the law of love. He summarized loving the Lord with, with my heart, with my soul, and all of it, finding my highest delight in Him. And finally, see, love the Lord with all your mind. Anoia, mind, your thinking. It means your thought life. It means that you must... Give your thought life to him, seeking to keep your mind pure, and to have all your thinking disciplined, controlled by what he has revealed in the scriptures. I mean, our, your thought life. Man is the thinker, right? Uh, uh, man, uh, Dante's, you know, man, the thought, the thing. We live in the realm of our thinking, and then we live out our thoughts. We say our thoughts. Some people say, well, I'm speaking, but I'm not really thinking. My th mouth is ahead of my tongue. We know what that is, and it's a terrible embarrassment thing. But the reality is that never happens because your, your, your mind, you didn't maybe collect your thoughts and say them as well as you should have said them, but your mind is issuing your tongue flapping in the wind there, and you're speaking. We live in the realm of our thinking. You know, it's cavernous. And in the realm of our thoughts, we're to surrender the Lord and to love Him. And it will leak out in our heart, in our expression, in our activity, and in all that we do. We will find ourselves praising Him and thanking Him. We'll find ourselves giving and giving. To the Christian life, I think the response is to give. It is to give. It's to give of our praise to God, the sweet sacrifice. And we just find ourselves enjoying that. And when, and when we praise God for his, his glory and all that he has done and the beauty that he's displayed, it heightens our joy. It's the same, that's the way God made us. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Watch, watch a, a football game where your team is playing, or a basketball game. We're going to be going into March Madness here pretty soon, right? And uh, you watch that. And when your team does very, very well and wins a close one, just sit there and drink your tea. You can't do it. You cannot, uh, unless you're dead, unless you're not really a loyal fan, but if you're, if you're the real deal, you're, up, you're doing one of these things. You know, like you're, like you're on the team. Please, you're not on the team. Sit down. You know, like they're not even giving you a jersey. Well, I bought it. No, you're not on the team. You know, like... But we've got to express it. Yay! You know, and we go to the office. Did you see that? You know, we, and 
yes, we want others to share in it, and it, it increases, it heightens our enjoyment of it. That's what it is when, we, when God loves to display his glory and his greatness, and we see it everywhere, and we go like, oh, and then we express it. That's what it means when it says God inhabits the praises of his people. God finds great joy when we find joy in him and what he has done. God goes like, you know what, that, that pleases me. Now, it's hard to think because a lot of times we go like, I don't think there's anything I do that pleases the Lord. But that's not true. When we enjoy the display of the wonder of our God, we go like the glory of our Savior, and we share it, and we want others to know. I love the stealer. No, I love the Lord, you know. He goes, wow. And it heightens our joy. That's one of the reasons why worship and songs are such an important thing. We sing and express. We ought to always sing from our heart. Don't consciously be aware. I know John leads us and Ron, but when we sing, look at the words and don't ever just mouth them, but think about them and, and sing them to the Lord. And through the week as we carry them, that we, we, we're accurate and we're enjoying the Lord. Oh, it's a taste of heaven. It really is. And it's all within the mind, right? And, and the battle is the mind. Tim LaHaye wrote that book. The battlefield's the mind. It is. Satan will attempt you through the mind. He will. I mean, we live in a lewd day. Don't we live in Sodom and Gomorrah? Anything goes. You're the only one that's got a problem is, you're like, well, wait, isn't there a moral fence here? Oh, you're the problem. No. You know, every man does what? In your mind. I mean, you got to turn the TV off. Don't, don't watch this. Don't do that. At Madison Avenue, things, all this, the whole gamut of the culture we live in. That's what it is. We're light among darkness in the mind. And we're to surrender. We're to bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. We're to set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. We're to worship him with our mind. And God gave us the wonderful ability to think. Don't you love that? Some of you don't use it too much. It's like an unused muscle. Say, I don't go to the gym too much, and so my bicep try a little bit flabby there. But, uh, and, and say, well, my mind's like that, too. I don't use it too much. But I'll tell you, uh, it's a, a tremendous gift to be able to process, look out, see something, and process. Or look out and remember back. Isn't that a thing? You, you remember back. Some of you live, have so much in the back, you're, that's where you're living. But today we live. And we look forward, but we look back. And man, God made us to think in the realm of our thinking. Man, the thinker. And it, it's a wonderful thing. Memories, and then as we plan for the future and solve them, problem, solve, you know, solve problems and things that come up and schedules and difficulty, uh, it's a wonderful gift. Your dog doesn't. You know, your dog does not reflect back on last Christmas. Well, that was a great Christmas. Boy, did I get, did I get a big bone. That, I'm hoping this next year it's even better. Your parakeet, maybe the squirrels in your yard, they're not like, they, they don't have thought like that. God programmed in their mind and, uh, and, and so on. How about the birds? How about birds that fly south? Do you think they like, you better go to flight school to learn how to do this? You know, like, in X, no, God programs a little brain and they're like, mm, hey, there's a, there's a yellow leaf, we're heading south. We're going down to South Carolina, right, or somewhere. I don't know where they go. You know, some hang around, some make it and some don't. But God gave us the ability to think, to problem solve, and to worship him 
with our mind. It's a glorious thing. Well, in summary, we are to love the Lord with all the faculties. That's what Jesus is saying. He has given to us. Holding nothing back. And we understand that on a human level. You know, on Valentine's Day, you don't give a card. Well, I, you know, I love you uh, 50%. <laughs> like, uh, here, here's a half dozen roses, and if I loved you with all my heart, I'd give you a dozen. <laughs> you get them right back in the face, you know? You know, <laughs> like, I'm just sort of halfway here, you know? And that's why, you know, the church at Laodicea, right? You remember that in Revelation 3? And, and Jesus' words to the church at Laodicea, look, you weren't either hot nor cold, you were lukewarm, and here's my, here's how it hits me. I'm going to spit you right out of my mouth. And we understand that. You know, we understand that. And that's how we're to love the Lord, with the totality of our being. Just as God loved us and gave us his very best, not withholding his own son. Finally, what are some practical ways, since we are practical people, that we might be able to measure. Well, we say, well, I'm not sure that I love the Lord with all my heart. What are, what are some practical ways? Well, Jesus gave us a summary statement of even that in John 14, 21. Briefly, one who truly loves the Lord with all his being is the one who trusts and obeys. Don't we love that song? Trust and obey. There's no other way. Trust and obey. Trust means we just rest in the Lord. And we're loyal to him. That's obey means God, you know, sin is disloyal. Sin is treason, sin is all. But it's loyal. God said it, that settles it. Dottie said that one year. I love that so much. It used to be God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. And the expression Dottie told me, said, no, no, it shouldn't be that. It's God said it, and that settles it. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you would believe it, but we better just rest in his care. Yeah. Well, what are some measures? Hey, um, how, do, how, do I, how do I know if, uh, if I'm loving the Lord or the totality of my being? Hey, by seeking daily fellowship with Him. Do you, do you find yourself wanting to read the Word and enjoying it and, and then wishing you could spend longer reading it? Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. I mean, you know, a thirsting and in, 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 in desiring to spend time with the Lord. He speaks to us through the Spirit, through the Word of God. God speaks to us. And then we pour out our hearts and worship Him in prayer. How about B, finding great joy in the wonder in, uh, in His wonder and in the, His greatness. You find yourself delighting in Him. That third, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. The Lord likes that. We brag about that. You know, we did that when I was a little boy. You know, little boys will do that. My father is, can beat your father up. No, he can't. Yes, Let Mothers, don't be surprised. That's the way boys are. <laughs> like, who's got the biggest bicep? My father. You know, like, you know, we're talking sitting on the curb this high. Well, my father built our house. Ah, my father can out-wrestle your father and all that. We brag about that. We find delight in our fathers, right? I read that today in the Proverbs. If you read Proverbs 6, uh, what is today? 16, you know, that the sons take delight in their fathers, right? 
And we should take delight in our God and delighting ourselves in, in the Lord our God, that he's glorious and great and wonders to behold. How about C? By often thinking about God's glory. I love you, Lord. And David goes on to say in Psalm 18, you're my rock, you're my refuge, you're my fortress. He goes on to give a whole bunch of adjectives describing the wonder and the glory of, of, of God and, and celebrating it. I mean, just think for a day. Like uh, the Lord says, the Lord is, uh, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. What is really, what does that mean? In, in that day, the shepherd was, a, a, a kings were known as shepherds the shepherd kings, that they were the mighty providers, leaders, caretakers of their people. God is our king, our keeper, and uh, he's our helper. How about that? In Psalm 121, uh, he, the Lord is my helper. I read that to Jim and to Susan and that Psalm 121 the other day. The Lord keeps us. He's our keeper. What's that mean? He keeps it. means that we're not out there blowing in the wind by ourselves. We're puny, small, and frail, and we need help. How about D? Uh, by trusting in his power and his wisdom. Psalm 31, 23, love the Lord. He preserves the faithful. We trust in him. <clears throat> we pray that way. That's, uh, I've urged you to pray that way as a church. Uh, as we, God is right on schedule and uh, moving to the property God has given to us. And to a, we're a building for worship and training and we pray for God's wisdom, his provision, his timing, and God's right on time. How many of you think God's right on time? Yeah, amen. He's right on time. And, I, and Terry has to keep altering, uh, changing his, oh, oh, Lord, I thought, oh, Lord, I thought. And he goes, say, mm, no, no, no. Get with the schedule. Get with the program, right? He's right, and I, we trust him. His timing is perfect. His power is wisdom. How about E, by loving God's law, his word? Psalm 119, great peace, have they who love your law. Peace, what a great thing, right? What a great thing. In a world that knows very little of it. Great peace. Do you want peace? Love the law, love the word of God. Great peace have they who love God's word. And how about that? By loving what God loves. Psalm 119, the law from your mouth is more precious Loving what God loves, that which is beautiful. Loving the Lord, loving virtue. And then, gee, the, the counter, hating what God hates. You know, our problem is we're born in sin and we're born uh, in darkness and, and, and in time. We simply express that because uh, oftentimes, not always, because we still have uh, a, a goodness in us made uh, in the image of God, but we're lost and tainted with sin and rebellion. And we end up loving the things that God hates and hating the things that God loves. And when God changes us and we meditate in the Word, we find ourselves delighting and loving the things that God loves and hating the things that God hates. And, uh, and that's a way to measure, am I loving the Lord? Or am I loving things that He hates? Am I keeping secret pockets of this? Oh, Lord, I don't want that. You know all about it. How about H, by rejecting the world? John writes, 1 John uh, 2.15, do not love the world or anything that's in the world. No, he means, he doesn't mean, you know, the world as we look out the window here. He means the world system. That's antichrist in its theology and its practice and in, 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 in all of that. 
Uh, and that's, uh, I, I, I've taught on that. I've entitled, uh, The Love That God Hates is the Love of the World. You don't do it. What about, or, or and so on. How about uh, H.I., By Grieving Over Sin? Peter's a good example there in Matthew 26. He uh, denied the Lord three times, and he was so filled with grief, he went out and wept bitterly. That's how you keep a tender heart. Is a grieving over sin, sins of omission, sins of commission, and say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, I want it to be right. I don't want it barring nothing back. And finally, Jay, by telling others about the greatest love in your life. You know, we do this with lesser loves. We do it all the time. You do. I talked about, you know, the Steelers uh, winning the Super Bowl, and then you go into the office and you're celebrating all week. Oh, yay! You know, you're... You're telling others that you identify with that team, or in that case, and, and you're enjoying it, and, you're, you're, you know, and you want others to celebrate and join into that, and we do that. Or uh, in romance, I remember uh, uh, living in a dormitory in college, and our roommates and the guys around there would, would date different ones, and they'd be falling in love. Uh, you know, they were always talking about Whoever it was, you know, and some of them ended up married, but not too many. They dated some others, and they were, oh, they just, just would just shut up. We're tired of hearing about that, you know. Like, it's just, but it's the way we are. It just kind of leaks out. Whatever it is that you like, it kind of leaks out. And, and we can demonstrate, uh, you know, and we say, well, how do we measure? Uh, do you find yourself looking to inject the word and his love into your family and your conversation and at work or wherever you are? And, Praying for those that don't know Jesus, uh, uh, that, uh, that, that's a wonderful indication. You see, God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life uh, throughout all of our days. And that's for sure. Uh, lessons for our life or the big so what? So what, Pastor? What does all this mean? <clears throat> what does this mean? Well, number one, two practical ways for you to grow in your love for God, and I just reflect this from my own life, is to often praise Him. Praise Him. And whether you're driving the car yourself, or you're in a, in a group, or loudly or softly, often give thanks and praise to the Lord. And second, give. So maybe they're both giving. We're, when we praise, we're giving our praise, and when we're giving to the Lord's work, we're giving our dollars, right? I find that is one of the greatest ways that tenderizes my heart to give, to give and give, to live to give. And Jesus is the illustration. These two activities will warm your heart and you'll find yourself being more joyful and more content. And I mean, after all, in, in Acts 20, it was Jesus that said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You have the idea, I'm going to hold on to every word. I'm not going to be praised. I'm not going to give of my dollars. I, you're going to be a very small person. And God will not be able to channel through you what he'd like to do. But if you're generous in your praise and encouraging to all others and you're generous with your checkbook, I, that's a mighty thing. And, and in the midst of it, you're going to be filled with such joy in it. I promise you. I know that's true in my own life. Number two, perhaps lesser loves have filled your life so, leaving you very room uh, for the Lord. 
I would urge you to ask the Lord to forgive you, change your focus and priorities in life. I'm not saying get rid of things that are lesser love that are good, but just put them in the right place and not let them dominate your, your life schedule day after day after day. That's not right. And when we raise a lesser love, really, to an ultimate love, we make it an idol. And people do that. They'll make a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a job, a sport, uh, something. They'll make it an idol, you see. A good thing given to the ultimate spot is an idol, and it's a bad thing. It's evil, then. Number three, we, we as humans live in the realm of our thoughts. Be careful what you're thinking about. What you desire, your motivations, your inner thoughts. Be careful. Don't hate people from the heart. You know, Jesus said, vengeance is mine. Forgive, be forgiving. And honor the Lord with all of your thinking. At that Philippians 4, I often think about that. It's a command there in Philippians 4 where he goes on, whatever things are true and right and virtuous and good report, then the command comes at the end. Think. These are the things you are to think about. Why? Because we become what we think. You know? And so the importance of that. Strive by His grace to worship Him in your daily thought life. It's, your mind is the battleground. Number four, share the love of your life with others. You did that, uh, you do that. Maybe the love of your life is your dog and you share pictures of your dog. Maybe it's your spouse, your kids, or something. You're sharing it. Look, hey, if I showed you, quit showing the pictures. I'm sick of it, right? They don't say that to you. Oh, let me see it, you know. But we share. We share what we love. We do because it heightens our own joy. Share the love of Jesus with people. And God will bless you for it, and, you'll, and the Lord will use you to touch others for the gospel. And number five and last, perhaps you realize today that you're not really a Christian. I mean, that happens. You're like, well, I don't have the love. I don't, this is foreign. That you have not loved the Lord as he requires, or he enables you from beginning to end to do it. In a simple prayer, I have it on your sheet. Ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin. Receive him as your Lord and Savior if you do that. He'll receive you as one of his very own. Oh, would you do that? Oh, what a wonderful text. First things first. Next time we're together, we're going to look at second things. But first things first. Uh, tomorrow is, uh, is a special day, isn't it? What day is it? St. Patty's Day, right? And uh, I just thought... Be with Jim and